0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com. Or email me directly at A-O-L-S-E-N at ALTUSMKTG.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now, here's today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I'm really excited. This is our first episode of 2022. And we're here with Andy Carr, the Vice President of Development at Feed My Starving Children. Andy,
1: welcome to the show, man. Uh, thanks, Andrew. Roy, great to see you guys, and uh privileged to be a part of your show here today.
0: We are um, an honor. Our here, and we're excited to, to talk with you about a number of different things. Before we get deep into our questions for the day, tell us a little bit about um, your background, who you are, and, and tell us what Feed My Starving Children does.
1: Yeah, well, as you made the introduction, uh, I'm the vice president of development and marketing, um, and uh, I, I believe I'll talk a little bit about the the integration of those two things. Um, but uh, it, it, it's I, I like to say it this way: everybody's in development, and yes. uh, I'll, I'll I'll build that out uh, as we talk to today of to dear audience. But so to, to give you a background, Feed My Starving Children. Uh, we we were founded in 1987. Uh, we're a Christian nonprofit that uh, that sends food around the world to starving kids. Um, the, these are the meals that we send around. It's called Manapak Rice. Um, you know, the name Manapak from our Christian background and our heritage, but uh, it's a mixture of vitamins, vegetables, soy, and rice. Um, it was for the last up until pandemic times uh, put together by strictly volunteers. Uh, I'll talk about a little bit about that when we talk about some of the changes that's occurred during the uh, COVID era, um, but uh, the, the, uh, the, the food that's sent out is truly uh, a, a life changer because the, the sad fact but truth is uh, today, the estimate is oh, over 6,200 children starve to death every day. That's mm-hmm. not an annual number. That is a daily number. And, um, that's the single biggest solvable problem in the world. You know, we aren't chasing after a vaccine. We're not chasing after a cure for cancer. Um, we, we have a problem, which is people that don't have food and we have a solution. Surprise. It's food. And, uh. Uh, the, the, the beautiful part about this is it's very cost-effective. Uh, we can produce a meal for less than a quarter. So uh, we're able to, uh, to over our time, uh, develop a network uh, around the world of missionaries and NGOs. You don't have to be a Christian to come pack with us. You don't have to be a Christian to receive these meals. But we certainly know that we are called, uh, as it says in Scripture, for us to serve the widowed and the orphaned and the poor and the hungry. And that's exactly why we do what we do. And so over the years, we have grown uh, from the early times where it just started out sending a few meals uh, into countries uh, to where this this last year, we will send over 370 million meals uh, around the globe uh, to feed people to over 70 different countries. Uh, do the math. Uh, We feed over a million people a day, every single day. And uh, that's done strictly through the support of donors and volunteers that come in. Uh, We're fully uh, privately funded through uh, individual donors, businesses, individuals, schools, churches, uh, you name it, uh, foundations that might give us money. We don't sit on money. We don't have an endowment. We don't have a, a corporate uh, you know, Cargill and General Mills do not give us the supplies; we purchase them on the open market, just like anybody else. Um, and then we gift them to these people by giving a forty-foot shipping container that's uh, about sixty-five thousand dollars worth of food at a time uh, to different people that has two hundred seventy-two thousand meals in these packages and boxes that end up in the uh, deepest, darkest places that uh, many people have never even heard of.
0: That's that's so cool. So I. Um I don't know if we've talked significantly about it, but I've been involved in a number of packing efforts uh, with Feed My Starving Children um, when I lived in, in Minnesota through my church, my daughter's soccer team. I mean, so like if you all hold a special place in our heart and I'll tell everybody that's listening, like if you can get to one of these packing events, they're a ton of fun. The energy in the room is just off the charts high. It's really exciting. And um, and it's, it's a great and unique business model. Um, I'm curious to hear you know, it, it's it's so different from what other organizations do to provide food to the developing world. Um, how did you land on this model and how have things changed in the last couple of years because of what's gone on?
1: Yeah. So I can go back to the kind of the genesis. Um, you know, it started out uh, as uh, as just a guy that had an idea that he saw kids that needed food and uh, and he came back and started shipping them just like dry goods uh he would ship them granola bars and cereal and stuff uh and and he went back shortly after and and saw no change in their health and uh and he was frustrated and so he talked to some of his friends that happened to be here in Minnesota food scientists at Cargill and General Mills and uh and said well what's going on and he said well they told him you can't just send calories you need to send nutrition and that's a big differentiator um this meal has the vitamins vegetables soy and rice so it has the the calories the carbohydrates and the all-important vitamins and nutrients that uh, that a typical uh just rice meal or a bean rice and beans meal or a flour tortilla or corn they, they don't have that power punch that kids need especially in their formative years uh where they have um you know if they have the lack of those vitamins and nutrition you're, you're talking about some of the places that have some of the biggest challenges in the world. Uh, people that live on less than, than $2 a day, in many cases, these are poor, less than 50 cents a day, and and if you have these children that don't get that nutrition, they're- cognitive development is going to be impaired. Think of it this way, um, that, that if if you don't get that going early on, they're not going to be able to catch up. So as, as from an infant up to about age 13, if your brain's developing, your, your body's developing, you're going to be stunted, you're going to have mental impairment, and then you're going to be forced to live in some of the most ferocious uh, kind of living conditions in the most difficult economic and social in, engagement places on the world. Um, and you're impaired. Uh, so that's why we feel it's so important to give them hope and give them a chance. Um, and so that's the that's that started. And, and so the meal came together, and he was a member of a, of a church up in the, the northern part of the Twin Cities, and, and started asking people to kind of come put it together. Um, and one thing led to another, and they formed a nonprofit. Um, And then the interesting thing happened, and I I would be remiss if I didn't say this, uh, our Christian roots in in 2003, it was really kind of, is the organization a humanitarian relief organization and go more the bureaucratic route of being that, or are we going to be honoring to our faith? And the organization and the board decided to rededicate the organization to Christ. And from that point forward, the most meals they'd ever made was uh, three million meals annually from 1987 all the way up to 2003. From 2003 forward, the growth chart we like to say here in Minnesota is the hockey stick of growth. It shot straight <laughs> up and has continued to do so. And uh, as as I came on board, I've been I've been on staff. Um, since 2013 but I started packing meals in 2005 as a volunteer Uh, that year annually Mm -hmm. in 2005 we produced 18 million meals the whole year Um, last month we shipped almost 36 million meals wow Um, so (laughs) last month Um, so there's been quite a change in the transformation I I say now now do you you Uh, just pack in Minnesota no no we have we we have, uh, we have eight sites. We have three in Minnesota, uh, in uh, Eagan, um, Coon Rapids, and Chanhassen. We have three in Chicago, in Schaumburg, Libertyville, and Aurora. We have one in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Richardson, Texas, a suburb there, and one out in the Phoenix area in Mesa. And then uh, Andrew mentioned we also do mobile packing events where we take the show on the road. We cater your party, uh, and we come to your school, your church, your business, your community, um, and. In pre-pandemic times, we were doing about a little over 300 of those events annually, all across the United States. Um, and so, we would put those together and have a packing party, and have anywhere from 400 to we had we had events that we packed as many as five, six million meals over a, a week long period, and had wow. you know, 12 to 15,000 volunteers over that period of time, and packing like in convention centers and arenas and things like that. So. At, uh, that's kind of how it all works uh, It's changed a little bit because of covid but uh walk, walk, you know. walk us through some of those changes Wow uh, so all along uh, our only production method up through uh, the 2020 march of 2020 um, was people hair nets I like to say and yeah roy me. <laughs> You guys that are watching this can see we do have to wear hairnets. I like to say it's wishful thinking. Yes, for those of you listening, we are uh, follically challenged, as Andrew is not. Um, and so uh, anyway, but hairnets. I still have to wear a hairnet. Have, we still have to wear a hairnet. We get oh, to. Oh, that's, that's empowering. To, right. That's powerful. It's powerful. It's <laughs> powerful. And I'll tell you a little bit about that when we talk about the fundraising part. Uh, but I'll tell you the thing about, um, you know, we were only produced by volunteers Putting meals in bags, and there was a limiting factor to that because we believe this whole thing is—we say—feeding God's children hungry in body and spirit, and the idea of feeding the spirits of people here uh, domestically that need to hear about the the problem, the problem that over six thousand kids starve to death every day. That's a big problem. Yeah. Well, we can do this with people and kids as young as five years old, and we can be 105 years old. And we have different jobs and different things that people can do, special needs, grandma, grandpa, you know, brother, sister. It doesn't matter your, your race, your religion, your background, your socioeconomic status. None of that matters. We are the great equalizer because we bring people together around the ingredients and the funnels uh, to put this stuff together. And the hairnet is the equalizer, because I don't care if you're a CEO or a Girl Scout. Um, when you come together, you're kind of like a worker bee. Um, you have a job to do. You're the rice guy. You're the you're the the, the soy guy. And, Andrew, I see you nodding. you know, what was your favorite <laughs> job when you when you were putting meals together? What was your job?
0: Try, uh they,
1: they had me one day trying not to let the bags drop.
0: Uh, and, and <laughs> the let's just say, guy, I'm not right? great at that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we, we, we love that too. You we, you get an A for effort, right? <laughs> um, and, and that's the beauty of this uh, is bringing people together of all backgrounds. And I say it's the great equalizer because truly once you put that hairnet on, we all look goofy and, uh, and no, nobody's better than anybody else, but we have one purpose one purpose. And boy, don't we need to hear that today in our society? We have one thing that we can agree on. We should feed kids who need food. Everybody who thinks that's a good idea, raise your hand. Okay. If you don't, go ahead and turn the show off because uh, that's not going to be a lot of things that are going to help you as we talk. If you don't think kids that need food should be fed, uh, that's a problem. So as we go forward here and think about The hairnet, the the beauty of the hairnet is, um, and and I like to say it this way, it's a brainwave inhibitor. uh, And people don't realize that. But what I mean is when we come in and have you touch the stuff and tell you about the problem, it comes in not just through your eyes and ears. And I want to tell this to the people in the fundraising world. If you only come in through people's eyes and ears, it gets stuck in their head. And where we want to move is from their head to their heart. And so when we come in by packing meals, we come in through their hands. It's not that we don't send information through their eyes and ears, but when we come in through their hands, it activates their hearts. And notice this, what is it that gets out the checkbook or the wallet? It's their hands, okay? And as fundraisers, that is a critical thing for me to tell you. When you can somehow take whatever cause you have and allow people to engage it, Touch it more than just talk about it, you are going to have a much greater level of success and adaption and memory uh, that that's going to work. And then it turns everybody who does that experience. The phrase that I like to say is everybody's in development. So once people have experienced this, guess what? Andrew, you're in development for Feed Starving Children. You already were today when you told people earlier right? I didn't prompt you to do that, but you've experienced it. So once you've experienced something, you're in development. You have an opinion about this. Hopefully, it's a good opinion. And if we've done our job, it's in a way that you can then transfer that to somebody else in a favorable light. But we can say, here's the problem. Kids need fed. Here's the solution. Food. What can you do about it? You can come and pack meals or you can help provide meals. By the way, they cost less than a quarter. You can feed a kid for $88 for a year. That's not a lot that you have to remember to go out and tell somebody about what can I do? You can talk about problems in the world all day long. We don't need more problem identifiers. We need solution providers. And you, too, can do that. So whatever your cause is, try and take it down into a way that's transferable in something they can touch and feel or something that they can easily transfer to somebody else to encourage them to help be part of the solution. That's beautiful. I love that. So
0: um, you you mentioned a couple of times the quarter piece, which it's, it's all connecting for me. So uh, I think the first time I uh, engaged with Give My Striving Children was like 2006, 2007, right after I moved to, yeah. to Minneapolis from Los Angeles. And, you know, I, I've been a fundraiser for almost 25 years now. So I was, you know, in, into the career at the time. And, and I remember going to the event, doing the packing, watching a compelling video. And then I was stunned because the, at the end, the person said, here's a plastic sleeve of some sort, please go fill it with quarters and bring it back. Mm -hmm. And and I remember thinking like, that seems like a really inefficient fundraising model. (laughs) Um, The connection to the cost of the meal and the quarter makes a ton of sense. But I also just in watching the evolution of the organization uh, at least since you've been on board, Andy, uh, it seems like the the fundraising has become uh, more you know, sophisticated. I, I don't mean it to be an offensive word for what was done before, but it just seems like it's grown yeah. enough. Talk talk a little bit about what's changed yeah. from a funding perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'll I'll refer your audience to uh, pull out their Bibles and, uh, and and look in the book of Matthew and uh, read the parable of the mustard seed. And I'd like to say that those quarters were much like those mustard seeds. Um, and I think that that was part of the evolution that God was doing through this organization, because it, it it's become a cornerstone uh, uh, really about who we are. And and it's another fundraising tip to break down your problem into bite-sized pieces. Um, and that, that's a critical thing, because I think a lot of times people talk about We've got this problem, and we need to raise five hundred and ten thousand dollars, or five million dollars, or fifty million dollars, whatever that it is. Um, And and immediately you have people that just tune out, and that's because your brain works that way. If it's a problem that you perceive is too big for you to do something about, you tune out. So you've got to break it down, and that's the beauty of the quarter um, that we can talk about. That that who can who can sit there and say I can't help with a quarter. Now the problem with that is if you if you give people the out to the easy way to say, well, then here's a quarter, then then that's not the solution either. You got to talk about both things. You got to talk about the magnitude of the things that are going on, but here's something you can do about it. And um, we're saying, yeah, a quarter does make a difference, but is that all you can do? And so what has progressed from that time, Andrew, was that we took and, and went from just the quarters and realizing if you only ask people for the least that they can do, guess what they're going to do? the least they can do. But when you position it so that they can do something about a participant of the bigger problem, then, then you can invite them to say, and here's our ways to do that. So we progressed from a quarter to a box of food, like what you just packed. That's about 50 bucks. And then we talked about it. You can feed a kid for an entire year for $88. What was the last time you went out and had pizza with your kids and and, uh, and went to the movies? I think you probably spent more than $88. Sure. How much do you spend at Starbucks by stopping off and getting a latte every day? Um, you know, how much of that could you forego so that a child could eat? And then you talk about when you collaboratively bring all of that to bear, the difference that you can make. You know, I told you that how many meals that we ship and we feed a million people every single day. Do you know how we do that? One at a time. One at a time. And that's the same way you're going to save those over 6,200 kids that starve to death every single day. You're not going to wave a magic wand, but you're going to do it. And systemically, you're not going to do it and do it once and be done. I don't know about you, but Andrew, you mentioned you, you have some kids. Um, I'm guessing that that your your kid that was, that's. I think you said you had a 10-year-old, um, when he was eight, if you'd been feeding him the first eight years of his life, do you think after eight years you go? You know, we've been feeding him for eight years. He can probably do this now. But I'm kind of tired of feeding him. You know, and and, and we're the same way. We don't want to create dependency in that we are the only avenue for people. But mm-hmm. we know this: if you don't give them some directional help and some foundational stuff, people like to say, "Well, you got to teach a man to fish." That's true. But if he can't hold the fishing pole because he's starving to death that's not going to do him any good. Let's get him back on his feet and give him a fighting chance and then point him in the right direction for success and sustainability. It's a big buzzword that people like to throw around, but this is not a one and done fix. This is a generational kind of thing that we have to stand with and for these people that have a lot different conditions than we truly understand what you and I have as discomfort um, these people would die for having the discomfort that we experience every day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and you do a lot of, of asking questions, uh, around people, but sometimes it's thrust upon you and that's exactly kind of what we've experienced here. And I think that, uh, that this pandemic has created for really all of us. Some people can look at it and say, uh, oh my gosh, uh, this thing, uh, has just destroyed what we knew. The others can say, you know what, um, Maybe there's some new opportunities here, and that's kind of the approach that that we've taken um, is that, that we think that it that that we'll tell you God is breaking down some doors. And here's the way I'll explain this story. So in March of 2020, we were, uh, you know, we had only had people and hair nets producing food. Well, guess what? In a complete lockdown, you can't do that. So we went from you know producing 370 million meals to closed. Well, people around the world uh, still need fed. So this is this is a uh, I I like to say a, a resurrection miracle for nine days. We were shut down. We had made no alternative plans ever and didn't see this one coming that we would never be able to use people. But nine days after we shut down, the first meals rolled off of a production line using machines. We had uh, one of our suppliers that had been providing the vitamin powder that was located here in the Twin Cities. Uh, he stepped up and said, hey, I think I can accommodate maybe uh, doing some things in bulk. And so the instead of these bags of food, like this, we were producing one big box of food. Um, and so nine days later, a miracle that food was starting to be produced. Shortly thereafter, we got a call from uh, the prison down in Southern Minnesota in Fairville and said, hey, we have a group of prisoners uh, that had been doing some product development and work that was being sent to Walmart and and, uh, and places like that. And, uh, and they've canceled all their orders because of this lockdown. Um, and so they're not going to be making, you know, whatever it was they were making and and all of our orders got canceled. Would you guys have any interest in, in allowing prisoners to pack food for you? So we all of a sudden had this model upon us shortly thereafter. We had another, uh, another, um, you know, I would tell you one of our VP of logistics had a guy at his church come up and say, Hey, I heard about what's going on with you. We're in the food packaging business. And actually, we have a plant out in Salt Lake City. I think we could maybe do something. So about about four months later, we started having this bag produced, which is a one kilo bag, which holds 15 meals. um, And we were able to contract with, and that has actually become, through this pandemic, our primary source of output. Uh, it has, has been this, we, uh, this year, we've produced about uh, almost 160 million meals uh, through that process and supplemented it now with adding people back into the process. So to your point, Roy, um, sometimes, you know, you strategize and come up with new ideas. Uh, and other times, uh, you look at, you know, the situation and it's thrust upon you, and then you find ways to do it. And there was a lot of work that went into making that happen. Um, it costs us some more cash, so uh, we have to. We still talk about the meal, and we blend everything together. It's still less than a quarter to do, but it takes the the replace that gifting, kind volunteer labor with money. Um, but praise God, we've had that happen. We've had donors, as we've communicated to this to them, uh, step up, and uh, and we're coming off of uh, our most successful fundraising year in history. Um, Because people understand if we don't do this, uh, there's consequences. And uh, it's literally uh, children and people around the world uh, will perish if we uh, if we don't get food to them.
0: Well, Wow. That is pretty amazing. Now, structurally, um, I I assume you like everybody else went to virtual and and (laughs) using more email, uh, 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 you know, without the face to face or limited face to face how has that impacted you and in your fund
1: development program you know it's an interesting thing roy i think that uh, again it's do uh, you look at it as a problem or do you look at it as opportunity and i would tell you it's gotten us into some places that i don't think we ever were um we we had a a large gala that was uh, planned for april of 2020 um and uh, and and it was in chicago and uh, the shutdown happened and we had to pivot and boom and uh, the the organization we worked with uh, Flatabo Advancement has been uh, a group that has helped us through uh, our galas and auctions and things like that over the years. Um, we, uh, we, we pivoted quickly to be virtual. Um, and so we were able to, uh, to work with some of our partners using technology. Um, and, and we took what was normally a, uh, a million plus dollar uh, event that had about a quarter million dollars of cost associated with venue and rubber chicken dinners and flying people in and doing all those kind of things. We did that all virtually. We raised the same amount of money through our sponsors and donors, and we eliminated all of that cost. So net, we ended up putting more money to the bottom line than ever before. Now moving forward, I think you're going to see uh, that become more of a blend. It, it allowed us to not just right. be one limited facility. So I say the opportunity is it opened up some new areas. We were able to use some technology and go. We 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 took the chance and 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 went live to places like Haiti um, and brought them into the room into your into your wow. living room. And, uh, and so you were able to see and hear and, and, uh, and experience firsthand live. I mean, we were, we were walking into a prison in Haiti where they don't have any food, and here's a guy handing out food. That's a pretty powerful experience that I think it's given uh, a lot of people on, on internationally uh, the, an encouragement to say, don't be afraid to try new things. Uh, don't be afraid to use this technology, just like we're doing here. Um, you know, there's a snowstorm going on out here in Minnesota right now. So, um, you know, but I'm in the comfort of my home office here having this conversation with you and it's going to end up going who knows where across the world, uh, hopefully to inspire and encourage others. And I would tell you, use your purpose, uh, in that same way and, uh, and connect with people. Don't shy away from it. Mm-hmm. Wow. What, what else So you
0: see this continuing? I mean, um, uh, Future trend. Uh, I like the term you used about a, a blended uh, fund development program.
1: Yeah, we 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 see the 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 future of this. Uh, I, I call it hybrid because I do think it's it's uh, you know people want to be around people. Um, I think you'll the, the the candle will burn out at some point if it's only virtual. And we've heard that from some people. I'm tired of virtual. I don't want to be virtual anymore. Um, and you have others that are going to be like, you know, I want to, I, I kind of want to stay home. I, I I don't like big crowds. I don't want to, um, but, but it also, if it, it gives you an opportunity geographically to expand your reach, um, you know, you can be, you know, anywhere and participate. So, uh, I do think it's going to be navigating. I don't think it's an either or Roy. I think it's going to be a both. And, um, I think that don't, don't make the mistake of putting all your eggs in either basket, um, is the way I would tell you, um continue to seek to, to meet people where they're at. And some donors want to do that in person over a cup of coffee. And other people might love to hear, uh, you know, we, we've been able to do some things like myself or our CEO or some of our partners have some more intimate groups that are maybe 20 or 30 uh, of our of our donors um, of different, different backgrounds or for different reasons uh, and host uh, an event that they can come to. And then give us an opportunity to talk to them about maybe it's a group that we want to talk to about legacy giving and how they might be uh, be able to, to include FMSC in their plans uh, as they make some of their plans. Or to talk to, uh, have somebody and talk to about the use of donor advised funds or forced distributions through IRAs. Things like that, or we might do something special for a group of monthly supporters—people who sign up to to be an ongoing. Maybe I'll feed a kid, uh, feed a kid for um, a, a eighty-eight dollars a month for every every month. Maybe we grab an exclusive group like that and do something special and have um, some Q and A and let them be a part of uh, a more intimate setting. So we're blessed with a broad amount of donors. Um, we have some tremendous support. Um, and so i believe that 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 this technology tool is one that is going to allow you to do uh to do more and and do it better
0: and you follow up to that with with what's gone on globally with covid and just the the increased need because of that um and i assume increased pressure on on feed my starving children to deliver more more product into into communities across the globe um you know what are, what are those kind of like Boardroom conversations look like um, in the organization as you think about okay, you know, for the next two years maybe we need to deliver here, but you know, I don't know what you guys see in the trends, but maybe maybe <clears throat> ten years from now it needs to be double, right? And what yeah. what is the thinking and the, what are the conversations like when you think about where you need to grow in order to deliver on on increasing future needs?
1: Yeah, well that that's a great question, Andrew, and and I'll tell you this. Um, we just finished uh, our three-year strategic plan. And as we talked about that, I would tell you, um, it's not something to maybe uh, uh, maybe think about where you want to be in 10 years, but I would tell you um, in today's environment with as many uncertainties as they are, I would encourage you to think in in, in smaller bite-sized pieces um, just because of the uncertainties. And I hope you've learned from what we experienced in the pandemic to, to realize don't put off for, for tomorrow to what you can do today, especially if it's a problem like fit, feeding somebody. So while we look down the road strategically, we want to think about the next three years of going from an organization that's doing 370 million meals to, to probably half a billion meals uh, yeah. annually. Um, and so directionally, um, we're not going to limit ourselves by that because we know that the ask, we, we have been asked for this year uh, we know over that amount. We we were asked for uh, almost 550 million meals um, from our current partner network, but we we have to be reasonable and 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 we trust that God's going to show us ways to deliver on that. Because I I tell you this the the people that are crying out in those places in the deepest darkest uh, slums of uh, of wherever. Um, you know, they're, they're crying out, I can't feed my kids. And I believe that God is hearing those prayers and acting through us to respond to that. So I'm not going to limit that, but I'm also, you know, got to put together a business plan and, and understand the logistics and the physical needs and everything else uh, to make that, those things a reality. So we, we don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. And the 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 uh the third world has has seen well too much of that. So we want to be somebody that stands alongside and encourages people. So as we look to the future, I, I would tell you a, a a 10-year plan, I wouldn't spend a lot of time on that. Um I, I would I would dream about it maybe a little bit um when you have a, a couple down minutes, but I'd say more than, than a year or two or three is probably uh, a, a little bit, uh, a little bit, you know, for what we kind of things we do, um, you know, if you're a venture capital guy and you want to make those kind of guesses and play with uh, play with those kind of odds, good luck. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm more in the here and now, and we've got some choppy waters to get through uh, before I'm going to, you know, think that and, and, and also realize how quickly that can change. And that you you I don't know that you spend another lot of time with with every other contingency plan, um, but you got to be ready to to flex. That that's what I would tell people.
0: Really good insight. Yeah, you know, you you talked about IRAs, you talked about donor advised funds, you talked about legacy giving. These are all. It's interesting. There's there's you know such a strong push into some of the the you know talk about asset-based giving uh, in the sector right now, particularly in the faith community. I've seen just an explosion of conversation around that. Um, And I think it's really important um, to just because of where wealth sits today uh, in most of our donors' uh, 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 portfolios. Talk a little bit about how your organization approaches that conversation particularly i know roy and i have had conversations about this because when you get into those um those different giving vehicles it becomes a little more difficult to see the revenue and to mm-hmm. see and to track and to understand okay this donor made this commitment we can tie those things out from a very technical perspective um like like how how do you approach that in your organization and and do you see that as a challenge or do you just see that as opportunity
1: um, my simple answer is opportunity. Um, we we don't uh, we don't make um, a, a huge investment in um, from a, a, a development standpoint towards any one of those particular channels. Uh, so I don't have uh, a, a you know a legacy department. Um, I don't have uh, you know I don't track. I make a note of it in their donor records if somebody says something, but I don't budget based on that kind of thing. Um, so, I know that, uh, that there's going to be uh, some windfall. So, I don't include that in a budget. Um, we get annual bequests that we see come through, but we're not tracking that. We don't do, we, we really don't have any of that active, like living trust and things uh, kind of tools that are in some more sophisticated, primarily in the arts and education and, and maybe medical. Uh, you see some of that kind of stuff. That's not who we are. We don't we don't build up a war chest. We spend it down every year. Um, we start from zero. So uh, you know we're looking at uh, at 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 this year um, we're going to raise uh, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of the the mid fifty million dollar range. Uh, to put together. um, And, and, and like I said, each year we start from, we start from scratch. Um, So we, we got to replace that every year, just like you do, you know, when you uh, you, you got to start over every year when you got to start feeding kids Um, you got to go to the grocery and pay that bill. And that's what we do. And we spend it down because we don't want to, we, we don't think that's reckless. Um, I, I will tell you, I come from a corporate background um, my, my background, I'm not a standard traditional nonprofit guy. Um, I come from corporate America. I, I ran sales and marketing for waste management for the upper Midwest, uh, for, for many years. I, that was part of my background. So I understand that corporate, I was involved with the guys that are private equity guys and machines. You put air, air in your tires and, and, and vacuum your car, uh, around the globe. We worked at the convenience store industry. So I understand all those cycles and, and the way that, that, those kind of, that that kind of investment and risk uh, occurs. Um, and I can tell you the model that we live on is a lot less cash on hand. Um, and it, and, and it, I would tell you it's from a faith perspective, I don't think it's reckless, um, but we're dependent upon those relationships. And so we have to have the things that I hear our donors tell us, why do they support Feed My Starving Children? They tell us because we can see the result of our dollar. We we understand that our dollar makes these this food. It's not some abstract thought or you know. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but they they like that. They also have an enormous amount of trust in Feed My Starving Children. So there's a tangible impact and 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 trust and integrity. They see the transparency of our financial uh, you know things that we do. Um, you know we talk about over you know. Um, that 99.8 percent of the meals of over you know the billions of meals that we produced have reached their destinations. We regularly show that happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, people hear anecdotally of the fact that this has happened across the world and they see that the impact of that. Um, they, we get audited and they see our financial results and hear about you know the, the levels that we have a, a low overhead. Uh, all of those kind of things that are, that are endearing to them. So, you know, I, I would tell you, you don't have to get too sophisticated uh, when it comes to some of those vehicles. We did see more uh, stock donation than ever before. And I think, uh, you know, when the market's high, uh, to have that so people can have the best tax benefit of not having the capital gains uh, and being able to maximize. So we saw more people. But when my team of development people sit down we have the plethora of tools to put out there and and say, which one's right for you. And, and we're always inviting people. We're never begging people for money. You put that, you put out there what the purpose is, how you can make a difference and, is, and invite them to say, and if you think this is right for you, we'd love to have you come alongside and help us do this. I love
0: that. So we're just about out of time. Uh, really appreciate you being here today before we go though. Um, two things. First, um, Give, give us a word of encouragement for the leaders and the fundraisers who've, who've maybe had a rough time coming out of the last year. Um, what, what do you say to those folks?
1: Yeah, I, I would say a, a, a big word for uh, 2022 is perseverance. Um, and I just want to encourage you, um, you know, I, I would tell you uh, it's a time uh, that as a person of faith, I've leaned on my faith uh, more than ever. Um, and, and I just would encourage you Uh, to really uh, do that gut check and, and look at, uh, you know, some of the places that you're frustrated and, and say, you know, as opposed to maybe what's the way through this wall uh, what's the way around it or over it. Um, And, and don't just think you have to break through it, Um, figure out uh, you know, where is your help coming from and uh, and don't do it uh, if, if you're just chasing after it because of, of a job um you know then and then maybe really check the your commitment to purpose and so uh that that purpose and perseverance i think go hand in hand and the more that you can really uh be assured of what your purpose is and in my case uh feeding kids as i said earlier on uh, if you don't think that's a good idea i hope you you know good luck um but uh whatever your purpose is um you know and there's a lot of them there is a lot of need in the world um, so, uh, I want to just encourage you to per- persevere, um, and, uh, and just, uh, as, as I know, you know, like I say, I lean into my faith, uh, because I know God is with us and, uh, he hears those cries. He hears the sick people. He hears the, the, the people that have, uh, economic oppression and, and other things that you might be addressing. Uh, I just want to encourage you in that way. Love that. So how do, um, how do people reach you if somebody's listening to this
0: episode and wants to get yeah. in touch?
1: Yeah, so uh, our website is fmsc.org, um, and you can go on there and learn all about the things that I've talked about here today. Uh, my email is car A-C-A-R-R, at fmsc.org, uh, and, and uh, you know, I'll do my best. Uh, I do get a lot of interaction with folks, um, but uh, I'll do my best to help you out uh, if, if I can. Uh, But I would encourage you to check us out uh, and and learn about the the need. And some of the tools and tricks that you might learn, um, you know, it's not manipulative in any way. Uh, We just, we lay it out there. And uh, I just think that the more that you can be honest and the more that you can break it down into ways that people can uh, truly make a difference um, in in a meaningful way, uh, that's going to be your best avenue of success.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here. Thanks for being our first guest of
1: 2022.
0: Uh really appreciate it. Uh, my
1: privilege, uh, yeah. I, I'm honored. Thank you guys. Uh appreciate all you do in this fundraising space. Um it, it's something that I think a lot of people can get overwhelmed with. Um, but uh when you embrace the fact that uh, that that you have purpose and, and you can help make a difference, um, I think it's it's a, a very meaningful and rewarding career. Uh and I just uh am thankful for all the folks that do it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, man. Andy.
0: Have you read my Amazon number one bestselling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.